This uh, sermon is entitled For the Word and Witness. For the Word and Witness. Are you living your life for the Word and for witness? The Word is, of course, Christ, the risen Lamb, and the witness is our testimony of his grace for us. I say we're going to continue at pace with chapter 6. Uh, through those messages to the churches in the preceding chapters, we took them uh, message by message. We took them few verses by few verses. We're now going slightly quicker because of the nature of the revelation here in these um, pericopes, these sections of scripture that we're looking at. Uh, but time itself for us seems to be marching on a pace, doesn't it? I mentioned about how November flew by. We've already got a new copy of the prayer diary. But time is moving fast, isn't it? And it's not just, I think, because I'm getting older. It's not just because of the, you know, in the natural aging process, time just seems to go faster. It does. But perhaps we are approaching the culmination of history. God knows and he has it all under control. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We know it's headed to a, a mighty and a victorious conclusion as he gathers us all in finally. Not one of us will be lost, dear friends. We love him and we know his grace. Praise God. In chapter 6, as these first six seals are opened, I don't know what your experience of reading Revelation has been. You know, the, the sort of like mystical language, what's the symbolism, what, what, do these, what does the scroll represent, what do these seals represent? Well, essentially, Revelation is quite a simple message when we get to it. And chapter 6 is all about the chaos of human history without God. What happens in the human realm when we turn away from God? When we, like our first spiritual parents, when our first parents turned away from God, they did their own thing. They ignored God's commandment. And so chaos ensues. And that's what chapter 6 is fundamentally all about. The reality is, is that history, uh, when it's written... Any history book, no matter how glossy it is, no matter how full of propaganda it is, it eventually reveals the futility and the chaos of life without Christ and his eternal word. All empires, no matter how mighty they are, if they're not founded and built on the truth of God's word and the reality of a glorious saviour, they come to an end. And so in chapter 6, we will see the six seals opened. The opening of these seals represents the opening up of truth. We're coming to see, as we look in Revelation, the ultimate reality that undergirds and holds the universe together. Let's remember the significance of the number six. Some of you are thinking... What's the significance of the number six, Pastor Ben? Well, which day of the week was man created? Day six. So six is man's number. 
left to our own devices, there will be chaos and brokenness. Notice in chapter 6, we've got six seals. The seventh is yet to come. Okay? We're focusing on these six. Left to our own devices, there will be chaos and brokenness in the world. Only if the Lord God breaks in mercifully will we be able to thrive. Only then will we know lasting victory. Only then will we avoid the vengeance of the Lord. Only then will we be vindicated through faith in the risen and all-conquering Lamb of God. Amen? That's what chapter 6 tells us all about. Shall we read chapter 6? Let's read together. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Remember, the Lamb is worthy and able to open these seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. Do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? 
who can stand? Well, if you are in Christ, dear friend, you will stand. You will be able to stand. You'll be able to stand on this great and fearful day of the Lord. Never mind COVID-19. Never mind variants of concern with 90 mutations or however many they've said. 30. You can stand today on the truth of Scripture, on the reality of Christ, the conquering King. As we open up these things this morning, I want you to note, if you're taking notes, three V's. Victory, vengeance, and vindication. Victory, vengeance, and vindication. First of all, victory. Friends, the Lamb is the one worthy and able to open seals. Praise God. He is worthy because of his sinless perfection. Having perfectly obeyed his Father, and as the second Adam, he is now the head of a new humankind. But we might be forgiven for thinking that this new humankind is not victorious. When we look at the the dead, we look at the martyrs under the altar, following the fifth seal, the struggles and the oppression of the church, the way the world laughs at us for our faith. doesn't look much like victory sometimes. But our King, our Saviour, is victorious. He has made us new. He's washed us by his blood. And we are in receipt of his saving grace. We are made new. We are no longer in fear because of our sin. Notice how victory from the world is portrayed here in chapter 6. With this first rider. Verse 2, I looked and there before me was a white horse. His rider held a bow and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Friends, victory in the world is given to rulers for a time. For the judgment of the nations. For God's plan to unfold. We could be wowed, can't we, by worldly empires. I've always loved studying history. Looking at the great empires of the past, both in antiquity and more recent times. You can be wowed by them. Great leaders and kings. But the reality is, friends, that they're here today and gone tomorrow. Just think of Alexander the Great of Greece. Anyone, anyone's favourite emperor, Alexander the Great? He lived about 350 years before the coming of Christ. Alexander conquered the known world. Having inherited the crown from his father, aged 20, he went and conquered the known world in a matter of years. But it all ended when he died, aged 32. The chaos that followed Alexander's death reveals that his unparalleled empire was really only a house of cards a flash in the pan 
And friends, this is the world we inhabit. So it shouldn't be a mystery to any of us when we look at concerning headlines in the world, when we look at the shift in the balance of power between from west to east, when we're told frightening things about hypersonic missiles, when we look at the diminishing of, our, of the power of our armed forces and the influence of our government, can't even convince us of its plan for the way forward, never mind the rest of the world. Any semblance of power is really only an illusion. This is the world we inhabit. Each one of our lives only has integrity, only has any lasting significance if it's governed by Christ. He is the one whom it's all about. This is what John is convincing us of. This is what he's revealing as the door to heaven is open. He's showing us who is in authority over all things. Friends, Jesus doesn't need to be given victory. Jesus takes victory because he is the victor. Jesus is victorious by nature since he is almighty God. He is irresistible. No enemy can stand in opposition to him. He could wipe us all away with one movement of his arm. Yet he patiently waits for the right time to usher in the age to come. The age when indisputably Christ will be king for all to see and acknowledge without question. The letters to the churches said that they, the Christians, will be conquerors. They will be conquerors if they wholeheartedly follow Christ, holding on to what it is that they've received, that life-giving faith. But what if a lot of our experience doesn't look much like victory. The world and so many of the unjust and God, ungodly, the enemies of Christ, they seem to have the upper hand. They seem to benefit from their unrighteousness and their dishonesty. But is that so? Friends, chapter 6 tells us that it's futile. It's futile because as sure as the dawn, the judgment of the Lord is coming and it's coming fast. Every one of us will inescapably face the Lord. What will his verdict be? Will he grant us a share in the Lamb's victory when he comes to judge all? There's two options. There's vengeance. Or there's vindication. Let's address vengeance first of all. It's not just John, it's all the apostles together. They present this reality. The apostle Paul also addresses the judgment on the great and awesome day of the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6. Since indeed God considers it just 
to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Don't think it's just John as an exile on Patmos. Maybe he's drunk some strange tea and he started imagining this uh, weird and wonderful future. No, this is ultimate reality. The apostles are unshakable in their testimony and witness to the almighty God who made all things from nothing. We better believe that he can bring all things to a conclusion at a word. The Lord God doesn't just wait until the second coming to pour out his judgment and his vengeance on the world. He doesn't just simply wait until then. Look at chapter 6. There's suffering and agony along the way, of course, the course of human history. The futility of human self-reliance is revealed from age to age, from generation to generation. That's why the saints of the Lord are persecuted, because it's futile human self-sufficiency which causes chaos and ruin. And so God doesn't just wait until the second coming. He's not impotent. We see the signs of his displeasure with sin all around us. This, could, this couldn't be clearer, in fact. Looking at the state of the world, with its growing disharmony, mismanagement, fearfulness, the rise of godless authoritarianism. Friends, all of these things are the manifest judgment of God on a world that continues to largely ignore him. Kicking against the goads. Oh, the mercy of the goads, friends. Do you know what I'm talking about? The mercy of the goads. This image, the image of kicking against the goads, comes from the Apostle Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. And it reveals this image of a beast of burden, a donkey, being tapped or struck with a stick to goad it, to make it move along, to, to make it change direction according to which way the owner wants it to go. Friends, we can kick against the goads, but the master remains and continues to try to turn us in a useful direction. The question for us is, will we be found compliant? Will we learn to accept the goads, the Lord's gentle help and his loving fatherly discipline in order to be found on the right path when he returns? Or will we, like much of the world, continue to race towards the cliff like lemmings together? One day, perhaps one day soon, that cliff edge will suddenly appear before us. And what good will it do us if we remain caught up with the world and with no further goading to make us change direction? Friends, as sure as anything, as sure as it says in chapter 6 of Revelation at the end, the Lord will wrap up history. The tired and predictable repetition of the same mistakes month after month 
year after year, generation after generation, that will come to an end. Who wants to say hallelujah with me? Glory be to the Lamb who is worthy to open the seals, to reveal to us the truth of human existence, to reveal the truth of our existence and our purpose in life and for all eternity. Amen. Amen. At the opening of the fifth seal, we see the souls of the martyred saints under the altar crying out to the Lord for justice. Asking the Sovereign Lord, holy and true. Remember what I say about the revelation? It's revealing ultimate reality to us. These saints declare the truth here. Sovereign Lord, holy and true. There is no other truth, friends. There is no other way to heaven than through Christ and his blood shed for you. They say, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, verse 10. Verse 10. How long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Friends, for John's generation in that first century, for many today in parts of the world where active and harsh persecution of God's people continues unabated. This question of these saints is an urgent and justified question. Oh Lord, please draw the suffering of our brothers and sisters to an end, we pray. Gracious God, where homes and villages are burnt to the ground, where godly men and women are dragged from their homes, arrested unjustly and locked away for declaring the truth of human existence. Lord, we pray that you will act to save them, to sustain them, that they might be continuing valiant witnesses for your truth, the only truth. The 20th century saw more deaths of God's people than all the centuries combined before that. Sure enough, just as it says in Scripture, the full number is still being added to this gathering of martyrs awaiting God's final judgment. Lord, free our brothers and sisters from slavery and oppression. Restrain the hand of the evildoers. But the reality is that every one of these suffering saints is already victorious. They're not imprisoned under some stone altar waiting for the day of judgment. For this is the heavenly altar where the sacrifice once and for all has been accepted. The blood of the eternal Son, the all-conquering Lamb of God. He has now freed each and every one of these blessed saints. They now gleam radiantly in the presence of God in white robes. Notice that. You see, friends, in his patience, 
the Lord continues to work out his purposes in history. The full number of all the saints must be gathered in. Praise God that he's still gathering. And that he uses us as his witnesses to bring that about. That's why our witnessing is important, friends. That's why these booklets are important at Christmas time. Because we, we can use every bit of help we can get to carry on witnessing to the great glory and love and grace of our God. Let's be about that work. Because through his blood we can have vindication. That's the third point of my sermon. God's word makes it clear that his saints are fully vindicated. How is it we're vindicated, Pastor Ben? Well, we're vindicated by the word on which we stand and the witness about Christ that we bear. Verse 9. Those martyrs were slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. We stand, friends, on that very same testimony. We stand on that very same eternal word, the one through whom all things were made and for whom all things were made. This is why the sermon today is entitled For the Word and Witness. It was for these things that these martyrs had been slain. But I want to encourage you, each and every one of you today, who claims an allegiance to the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, to also give your lives for him. We may not, thankfully, we may not be called to face a cruel and unjust death for the sake of the gospel. But we can still give our lives for the living word, for Jesus. We can still make our lives a visible and audible witness to the mercy of God in our lives. Because as Paul says in his letter to the church at Rome, chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Glory. Hallelujah. Friends, that is our witness. That is our message. It's not difficult. It's not complicated. Some people would spin a great yarn about Revelation, making it all sorts of complicated. The reality is the Apostle John knew the simplicity and the beauty of God. Knew the simplicity and the beauty of his sovereignty. And how he's Lord over all creation. Lord of all history. No matter which country we come from. No matter what, what culture predominates in our experience. He alone is Lord and God. And if we trust in Christ, if he is Lord, and we believe God raised him from the dead, we too will be raised. We will be saved. Friends, the purpose of John's revelation, his apocalypse, and I want you to, to know once again, apocalypse means revelation. It's not two different words. Apocalypse isn't some kind of you know, final battle at the end of time, or some calamity 
Friends, this world is in calamity if it doesn't have Christ. That's why his mission is so urgent, is so important, is the greatest mission that any of us has ever received. John's revelation, the purpose of it is to encourage us by showing us ultimate reality. Showing us against the backdrop of a world in rebellion, a world which relentlessly tells us that it's nonsense what we believe. Offers us all kinds of deceit and counterfeits. John is saying, no, Christ is alive. He is risen. I have seen him. Friends, believers are to know through all the seasons of life, in good times and in bad, that Christ the King is on the throne. And he is good. He is patient. And he is ready to bless each and every person who is weary. Every single person who is sick of sin. And who is ready to acknowledge the futility of their own thinking. Because friends, there's no hiding from God. As we see in the closing verses of chapter 6. The inclination of those who have rejected Christ will be to flee and hide in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. But none of them will be able to avoid the swift and sure reality of the one seated on the throne of thrones and the wrath of the Lamb. Have you realised already that there's no hiding from Jesus? I pray you have. Do you understand now why he patiently waits for the full number of his people to come into the sheepfold? The question is, is he waiting for you today? God didn't make us as his playthings. He made us to respond gladly to himself as we come to know him for who he really is. In the silence, the Lord quietly invites us to acknowledge our sin, to recognise that it's gradually destroying us, to turn from it and embrace the righteousness of Christ and to follow him along the beautiful straight path that he has now set before us. And this message is urgent. This appeal is urgent. That's why the creatures are saying, come. Because we need to say, come. Because one day, the sky will be rolled up as a scroll. The mountains will fall into the sea. And the face of the Lord will either smile at us or be the greatest terror anyone could experience. And so let us listen to the voices of the living creatures as they say, come. All of those who are tuned in to ultimate reality, the sovereign rule of God and his coming king, all of them, they repeat the invitation that's gone out since the earliest days. Choose life and not death. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Come and follow me, says Jesus. In every single one of the gospel accounts, Jesus says, come and follow me. 
Come and see yourself how God sees you and be redeemed. Have your sins forgiven. Friends, this is the purpose of history. Our lives make sense with Jesus, but they will be hopeless chaos without him. Won't you join me in living your life for the word as his witnesses to the ends of the earth? Shall we bow our heads in prayer?